You're listening to audio from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more information about Pleasant Valley, visit our website at pleasantvalley.cc. Well, I read a story the other day online that was incredibly encouraging about four police officers in Utah who found an overturned car in an icy code river. Uh, It was late one night, and there had been a report of a wreck somehow or another, and so they were navigating through the woods in the dark, trying to find where this car had overturned, and there was nobody in sight. And all four police officers report the same thing. They all began hearing this mysterious female voice crying out, Help! Help! over and over and over again until that voice led them to the car which was turned over in the river and unfortunately they found that the driver of the car uh, a woman in her 30s had already deceased but in the back seat of the car there was an 18 month old little girl named Lily her daughter um, who was unconscious but still alive in 40 degree uh, uh, weather uh, water and they were able to resuscitate her and save her life and thankfully little Lily is okay but all the officers were collaborating and there was no human explanation for the voice that was crying out help the mom had passed away immediately the little girl couldn't speak there was no other human being in sight and all four of these men concurred the only possible solution is it must have been the voice of an angel because they heard a real voice that that led them to help this little baby girl that would have otherwise died herself and so I think sometimes when we talk about angels, it's easy to become very skeptical, isn't it? Because it feels so supernatural and it feels kind of kind of weird sometimes because even like Oprah believes in angels. So we hear these things and we tend to be skeptical. But when you come to the scriptures, you see that the, the Bible is very clear that angels are real and that angels can communicate. And we see this uh, today in week 21 of our verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. So go to Acts chapter 8, and as we pick it up in verse number 26, what's happening is the early Christian church has been scattered away from Jerusalem because of persecution. And so they are here, there, and everywhere. And as my grandma would say, they were even scattered out way over yonder, uh, preaching the gospel. And in particular, God had been working through a man named Philip, and God is going to communicate a very important message to Philip through an angel, beginning in verse number 26. And here's what uh, the physician Luke says through the Holy Spirit. Spirit says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now, in Luke's theology, who, by the way, wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, Luke has a very high view of angels. He talks about angels all of the time. He does it in Acts chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 10, chapter 12, chapter 23, chapter 27, and he's doing it again here. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, notice what the message was, rise, Philip, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, This is a desert place. So if you're Philip, it's a bizarre situation because, first of all, you've got an angel talking to you. Probably doesn't happen every day. But secondly, the message the angel gave to Philip would have been difficult for Philip to receive because the angel tells Philip to go to a very specific place that was kind of out in the middle of nowhere that really no one would have had a reason to have gone there. The road, he says, between Jerusalem and Gaza. This is a bizarre place for God to send Philip 
Because Alexander the Great historically had already sacked the city of Gaza. It had been destroyed. And the main road between Jerusalem and Gaza had been completely destroyed. And nobody traveled on that road anymore. They had built a new highway where everybody went. But the angel says, go to this old abandoned highway that nobody uses out in the middle of nowhere that is barely passable. And I've got a work for you to do there. So if you're Philip, you've got to be thinking, God, why are you telling me to go out? Out there of all places. Like, what in the world could possibly uh, need to happen there? I wonder if God's ever spoken to you like that. You know, if, if, if we'll learn to listen to the voice of God, sometimes God will ask us to do things that make no sense at all in the moment. God's instructions to us, God's words to us, God's messages to us don't always make sense at the time. But when you go on faith and obey, you'll see that God always has a plan. And we'll miss out on God's plan if we don't obey his voice. Well, Philip is being tested in this here. Philip, will you go to this random bizarre place in the middle of nowhere through the voice of an angel? Well, he, he obeys in verse 27, and he rose and went. So he's going out in the middle of nowhere, but lo and behold, God has a reason for his trip. God has someone there that needs him. Verse 27, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, and he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch, which um, means essentially he had been castrated, and which also would have meant historically that the king would have put this eunuch in charge of his harem. It's a word we don't really use today. It was essentially a group of wives and secondary wives, sometimes called concubines, that the king would have, basically a group of women for his own personal pleasure. But he would conveniently allow the eunuch to be in charge of all the ladies, uh, apart from being too forward, because he, he was not worried about the eunuch trying to steal one of the ladies from him. But the eunuchs would always be elevated in power and authority. They become very important people in the king and queen's court. And this particular Ethiopian eunuch um, is working for the queen of Ethiopia. He was basically her treasurer. Who, he managed her money. And the Bible says in verse 27, he had been worshiping in Jerusalem and was on his way home, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. He probably was a Gentile who had some kind of connection with the Jewish tradition. So he's not himself a Jew, but he's, but he's trying to explore the Jewish God. And in doing so, not only had he been to worship, but he's reading the prophet Isaiah, which wouldn't have looked like this, by the way. It would have been a long scroll that he held in his lap. And notice what happens next in verse 29. And the spirit, that's not uh, Philip's spirit within him. It's, a, it's not a lowercase s. It's the capital S. It's the Holy Spirit is who Luke has in mind here. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So notice what God is doing here. Uh, this, this will get some of us out of our comfort zone, and I think that's on purpose from Luke's intent. In verse 26, God speaks to Philip through an angel. But now in verse 29, God is speaking to Philip through the Holy Spirit. So, so God is clearly orchestrating something here, isn't he? He's orchestrating a divine encounter. He's using angels and the Holy Spirit 
to get Philip to accomplish a task for him. But this is what is so important. This encounter is dependent upon Philip obeying the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If Philip does not listen to the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit, he misses out on an opportunity to do the work of God. And so do we, by the way. But Philip obeys the Holy Spirit's voice, even though it's kind of bizarre. And it's bizarre because he has to chase down a chariot. I'm envisioning Forrest Gump here, is, is what I thought about this morning. Running, because in verse 30, Philip ran to him. He's running to the chariot, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And then he asked him, he said, do you understand what you are reading the text doesn't say this, but I, I think Philip, it's like he knows God's got him there for a reason. And he's like, okay, here's a dude. Clearly, this is who I'm supposed to talk to. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch in verse 31 said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? I mean, it's kind of like if you're Philip, God's like lobbing you a big softball here. I mean, he's setting it right up on the tee, like, here's your sign. But do, do you see how God is sovereignly at work? I mean, it just so happens you have an Ethiopian eunuch on some random isolated road in the middle of nowhere in the desert that just so happens to be searching after God but doesn't yet know God. And he just so happens to be reading the Bible, but he doesn't really understand what it's saying. And it just so happens an angel starts talking and the Holy Spirit starts speaking. And next thing you know, here's Philip out here to introduce this guy to Jesus. This is how God works. It's not always something that fits in the bulletin. It's not always something you can read about at the Lifeway Christian Book Score, uh, Christian section. It's the whole thing to be a Christian section uh, for your Lifeway. But anyway, you know what I mean, all right? Verse, 30, verse 31, here's what happens next. And, and the eunuch invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. Now, before we look at it, it's taken from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, if you want to go read it later. And it's a prophecy written about Jesus 800 years before Jesus Christ was even born here on earth. And specifically, it's a prophecy about the suffering that Christ would endure on the cross for our sins. Now, here's what the text says. Now keep in mind, you're, you're this Ethiopian eunuch. You don't know God, but you're searching for God. And you're reading this ancient text that was written 800 years ago. And here's what it said. Like a sheep, he... Now we know he is Jesus. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shear is silent. So you see this Old Testament imagery. Of, of, a, of a sheep or a lamb being led to the slaughter. The idea of a lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of the people. But we know sometimes you can get like lost in Leviticus when you're reading your Bible and you're like, there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of dead animals. Like, why does God have them kill all of these animals? They're all pointing to Jesus, who John the Baptist said, behold, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we know this text is about Jesus, who is our substitute, die in our place on the cross. And notice what it says in verse 32. He he opens not his mouth. 
This prophecy was precisely fulfilled, wasn't it? When they arrested Jesus and he stood before trial, he never disputed. He never argued with them. He did not defend himself. He, he, he essentially turned the other cheek. He stood there in humility. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. And then in verse 33, in Jesus' humiliation, justice was denied him. For Jesus to die was unjust. It wasn't right because he never sinned. He never broke the law. He was the perfect son of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus, the only truly perfect law keeper ever to live, died for all the rest of us who have broken God's law. And this is why verse 33 says, Who can describe his generation? That is those who killed him. For Jesus' life is taken away from the earth. And then in verse 34, so the eunuch said to Philip, that his, his mind is scrolling here. What does this mean about this sheep coming that will die? But it, it clearly has to be a person because it says he doesn't open his mouth. And we know that sheep don't ordinarily talk. So he's thinking, who is this talking about? And he says, about whom? I ask you. Does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? So at this point, the Ethiopian eunuch is not a believer. He still hasn't embraced Jesus. He doesn't know this is about Jesus. He doesn't know the gospel, that Christ was the fulfillment of this prophecy. Who would die? Then in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture in Isaiah 53, he told him, the good news about Jesus. Though the name of Jesus is not in the Old Testament, the Old Testament serves one primary purpose. It is to point us to Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. From Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, it's all pointing you to Jesus. He is the hero. But it's so obvious now why the Holy Spirit led Philip to the eunuch, isn't it? The eunuch was lost. He didn't know Jesus, but God wanted him to know Jesus. And so God goes out of his way. God sends an angel that talks. God sends the Holy Spirit that communicates to Philip. And he takes him out in the middle of nowhere just to save the Ethiopian eunuch. God is so committed to saving his people. He will do whatever it takes to save them. And so Philip obeys the leadership of the Holy Spirit, even when it didn't make sense, even when it was a, a big ask. And so I think this is the question for us. Um, are we listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Because, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit did not stop speaking when the book of Acts was finished. He is still speaking today. The question is not, is the Holy Spirit speaking? The question is, are we listening? Are you, am I, are we sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Because when we're not, we are missing out on incredible opportunities to do the work of God. So, Brandon mentioned our, our trip, and we heard a story from one of the brothers there who um, his friend's calling from the Lord was to smuggle Bibles into this country 
that's an Islamic country where it's illegal to share the gospel or bring in copies of the Bible in that particular language, in their home language. But there was this Christian, and that, that was his calling from God, and, and he would smuggle in and had for months, he would put on his backpack, and he would load it up with Bibles in that language, and he would take it across the border and pass out the Bibles um, and try to share the gospel in that way. I mean, by God's grace, really miraculously, he had never been checked at, at the border. They just so happened to let him slide through, just God's favor, because if they would have found his Bibles, he would have been incarcerated for sure. And so God just protected him. But one morning he woke up, and he loaded, as he always did, his Bible or his backpack down with Bibles, and he was going to set out for the border. And he said all of a sudden, he didn't hear an audible voice, but it was so clear the Holy Spirit overwhelmed him with this sensation that you need to take the Bibles out of your bag today. And he said he kind of wrestled with the Lord. He's like, okay, okay I'll, I'll obey. And so he took all the Bibles out of his backpack, and he, he went to the border, and I don't know what he had in his bag, but it wasn't Bibles, and he got there. And that particular day, for the very first time, they pulled him aside, and they searched him from head to toe and went through his bag entirely. And if he would have had the Bibles in his bag, he would have went to prison for sure and had no more influence in that country for the gospel. But the Holy Spirit warned him. The Spirit of God spoke to him. And we're going to see this later on in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God said to Paul, don't go there. First, I just wonder if for some of us in this room, if, if, if there are particular difficulties or dangerous places in our lives we could have been kept away from if we would have merely been sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, that it's always God's will to keep us out of trials, of course. We, we know that's not the case, but there are times when the Spirit is trying to communicate to us, don't go there. Don't, don't hang out with that person. Don't you date that boy. Don't you go to that party. See, but, but, but more than that, I just wonder, in, in light of this context, how many of us are missing out on opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus all because we're just not paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Because guys, the Holy Spirit is not some weird, impersonal force. He is a person. Which means he has a personality. Which means he has a voice. Which means he communicates. Because he's not some freaky third cousin to Jesus. He's God. And he loves you. And he loves the world. And he's orchestrating us on mission to reach the world. And there are Ethiopian eunuchs everywhere. There are people in your neighborhood and at the factory and at the Little League games and at Planet Fitness and on the airplane and the, in the Uber. There are Ethiopian eunuchs everywhere who deep down inside want to know God. And they have no hope in their life and they want to know if they can be forgiven, but they don't know what to do about it. And they're longing and the Spirit of God may be communicating to you to go be Philip to them. But if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, if you're not open to Him communicating to you, you can miss out on the opportunity and they don't get to know God so you have to pay attention you have to for some of us the first barrier to overcome is is simply theologically you have to open yourself up to the notion that the spirit of God still speaks 
For some of you, that's your first barrier. You're like, I think the Spirit doesn't speak anymore. Well, two things. First, He primarily speaks through the Word of God. Because the Spirit inspired this. This is breathed out by God. So when you read the Bible, you are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God also speaks through what we sometimes call that still small voice. It's what He did to Philip here. It's what He did to that brother in in Africa. It's, It's the Spirit of God in a sometimes more subjective kind of way. Leading us, nudging us, guiding us, prompting us. Sometimes bringing people to your mind out of the middle of nowhere. Bringing ideas to your mind. Like, where did that come from? Maybe bringing a passage of Scripture to your mind. And you turn there and it deeply encourages you. But the Spirit of God is communicating to His people. But the problem is, it's... It's hard for us because most of us have so much noise in our lives. And the noise drowns out the still small voice of God. And I think we've kind of lost the discipline of listening. Not just in interpersonal relationships, though most of us, myself included, could grow tremendously in this doing a lot less talking and much more listening. That won't just improve your interpersonal relationships, but your relationship with God. I fear friends, and I am chief among the guilty. Sometimes we're so busy talking to God, we forget to listen to God. And when we're the ones doing all the talking, sometimes God can't get a word in. Now that is not to say pray less. That is not to say don't give the Lord big, long list of things you're petitioning for. Of course, we do all of that. Keep praying. Keep talking to God. The point is, don't simply talk. Listen. Be still before the Lord. Create this this lost discipline that the Puritans understood so well that we've lost because of our smartphones and because of all the technology all around us, right? We've lost the discipline of silence and solitude before God. But Jesus got it. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus got away by himself to what the Scriptures call a desolate place to hear from the Lord. But in, in our day and age, right? There's emails dinging and phones ringing and baby screaming and there's cornbread burning and there's all this stuff going on. And sometimes there's so much noise and we're so connected to constant social media and constant noise. Some of us couldn't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit if we wanted to. So the first step in in communicating with the Lord in this case can just be creating space to hear from the Spirit by turning off the phone or turning down the radio or whatever you got to do and getting away and just being still before the Lord. So mamas, if you've got little ones, that may mean you have to lock yourself up in a closet somewhere. All right? Turn on Netflix and just lock yourself up. It's okay to do that. It may mean at work you have to go out to your truck and, and just be by yourself during lunch break. It may mean you have to get up earlier in the morning before everybody else gets up or... Whatever it is, you maybe have to go out in the middle of the woods somewhere just to find a quiet place. But you got to get quiet. you got to get away with the Lord, just like Jesus did. 
And you've got to create that space where you take upon the posture of Samuel. I love this text in the Old Testament. Samuel quiets himself before the Lord, and he says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. When was the last time we prayed that prayer? So here's, here's some homework, okay? Now, this will be incredibly uncomfortable for some of us. But I want to challenge you, before you go to sleep tonight, to carve out 15 minutes, at least, just to get away by yourself, wherever you got to go. It's a beautiful day. Take a walk somewhere. Go to the Green Belt. Go somewhere. 15 minutes by yourself, and just be quiet before the Lord. Don't take your phone with you or turn it off. Um, no TV, no kids, no radio, no podcast, none of that. And, and for at least 15 minutes, just take up on this posture. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then, and then don't give the Lord the long list of prayer requests. Do that later tonight. Just, just listen. Now, when I try to do this, usually I make it like a minute and six seconds. And I'm like, how long is it been? Like, crap, it's only been a minute. Because it's, it's so hard just to be still. It's so hard to be quiet. But we need this. So do that before you go to bed tonight, all right? And then try to cultivate that discipline on a regular basis. And just see, open yourself up to, the Holy Spirit may have a mission for you. He may lay someone on your heart that needs you to take them to lunch this week that you haven't thought about in years. He may lay a neighbor on your heart who's, who's dying from depression on the inside. And he lays you on their heart so you can reach out to them. Be willing to hear from the Holy Spirit. Now, because if we're going to be a church that reaches our city for Jesus, we're going to have to be a spirit-led church. We're just going to have to be. Because we don't know where the Ethiopian eunuchs are. We we can't reach our city through programs and all of our plans. We're going to have to say, Spirit of God, where do you want us? Where's the fertile soil? Where are people waiting to hear the truth? Who is ready to repent? The Spirit knows that we don't, so we got to become better listeners. But then we got to obey when He leads us, okay? Now, Philip listens to the Holy Spirit. He climbs up in the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch, shows him Jesus in the Old Testament. He's saved. Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Very conveniently, by the way, because historians tell us there was only one water place on that whole road in the middle of nowhere. Just so happens when they get through the gospel, well, by golly, there's some water. The Lord's in this, right? The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, verse 37 may not be in the version of the Bible you have in your lap. It's actually not in the ESV. Verse 37 is in some of the original manuscripts, and it's not in some of the other original manuscripts. So just if, if it seems odd that it skips verse 37, that's, that's what's going on there. But I want to read the verse 37 that some of the manuscripts have. And Philip said, so the question was, can I be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then I love what happens next. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This this shows you something about the work of the Spirit. 
Sometimes he has very particular tasks for us. The Spirit led Philip in the middle of the desert to lead this guy to Christ. When the guy believes in Jesus and is baptized, the Spirit carries him away. He, as it were, almost like raptures him out of there. The assignment is over. The Spirit didn't lead him there for the next two years with this guy. He took him in. He took him out. So part of learning to listen to the Spirit isn't just knowing when to go in. It's knowing when to leave. It's knowing when to move on from this relationship to another one in evangelism or discipleship. It's, it's, it's learning God may have had you in a ministry for a season, and the Spirit is saying, my assignment for you here is over. It's time to move on to something else. You see, the Spirit doesn't always keep you in the same place forever, so you have to be sensitive to His leadership. But what we see here in the text is, is the normative practice of the New Testament. And here's the normative practice someone places their faith in Jesus Christ and they are saved and they are baptized right then and there. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2 at, at the founding of the church at Pentecost. Peter preaches the gospel, 3,000 people are saved and they're all baptized from what we can tell that very same day. This is the way God worked in the New Testament. So the eunuch becomes a Christian, he believes in Jesus, they come to a body of water and he says, well here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? So here's how we're going to conclude. Three very simple basic questions that I want all of us to answer for ourselves. I don't want you to answer this question for the person beside you or your kids or your husband or whatever. Just answer it for yourself. First question is this from this text. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe? Not does your friend believe. Not does the person that you've been praying for believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because in verse 36, the eunuch says... Can I be baptized? And Philip says in verse 37, if you believe, that is first base. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And then he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Kids, not does your mom or dad believe. Do you believe? Not does your best friend believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead? And that only by turning from your sins and believing in Jesus, you can be saved. That you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. He is the only way. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Do you believe that? Is all of your hope in Jesus Christ alone? Have you been saved? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, then today is the day of salvation. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. For all who call upon His name will be saved. Romans 10, 13. So, if you have been saved, if you have believed in Jesus as the Son of God and only Savior, the second question is, have you been baptized? These are the most fundamental questions straight out of the New Testament. Have you been baptized? Because for a Christian that's truly been saved, baptism is not an option. It is a command. In the New Testament, the evidence is overwhelming that there is no such thing as a non-baptized Christian. For a Christian not to be baptized in the Bible would be the equivalent of Johnny Cash doing a concert wearing rainbow colors. Like he's only going to do it in black. 
There's no such thing in the Bible's understanding of Christianity that you can be a Christian and not, therefore, be baptized. This is why there are so many passages in the Bible where salvation and baptism are spoken about in the same sentence. They, they go hand in hand. The biblical writer simply can't imagine a true born-again Christian who's not been publicly baptized. So this is why we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, at Pentecost, Peter said to them, this is the first sermon that gave birth to the church, right? So it's, it's pivotal. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter says, one of the evidences of true repentance is that you will be baptized. Now, that verse does not mean that baptism saves us. From the rest of the clear te teaching of the New Testament, we know we're saved by faith in Jesus alone. Baptism doesn't save, but it does mean that the Bible does not have a category for a person who says, I believe in Jesus but a person who will not then identify with Jesus in baptism. So baptism is the Christian's initial public profession of faith in Jesus. Now, here's probably where we are in our context. Some of us were probably baptized as, as kids. Maybe you were even sprinkled as an infant. Maybe you were baptized as, as a young person uh, at a vacation Bible school or something like that. And um, it's possible that, that when that happened to you, whether as an infant or as a young person or maybe even as a teenager or young adult for that matter, that you really had not been saved at that point. Like at that point, you really had not believed in Jesus in your heart and, and understood the gospel. Maybe you did it just because mom and dad kind of made you. Maybe you did it because your big brother did it because of all the other kids. But you really didn't understand the gospel. You truly hadn't repented of your sins and been saved. If that happened to you, you, you didn't get baptized. You just got wet, which is two very different things. Because true biblical baptism is only after you truly accept Christ and are saved. So, there are probably some of us in this room who got wet years ago, but we didn't actually get saved until maybe after high school or college or later on in life. Some of you, probably in the last year, you've actually become a Christian. Like, you've really had your eyes open to the gospel, and you're like, man, I'm not who I used to be. Like, I got baptized years ago, but I'm, I'm no, Jesus has changed me now. And, and so that's you you don't need to be rebaptized. There is no such thing as rebaptism. You need to be baptized for the first time. Because if you went under the water or were sprinkled before truly being converted, again, that wasn't baptism. We just got wet. And so here's kind of where we are. If we claim to be Christians, but we've not been baptized biblically. That is, after conversion, we are in a real sense denying Christ. Because baptism is the way you go public about Jesus, right? Because Jesus says things in Matthew 10 like, everyone who acknowledges me before men, that's publicly. This is why we don't do ordinarily private baptisms, because he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But then he says, but if you deny me before men, 
That is, if you are ashamed of me before me, then I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. And so the clearest way in the New Testament you go public about your relationship with Jesus is not by upgrading or changing your Facebook status. Although if you want to put in a relationship with Jesus, you can do that. But that's not the primary way. The way you identify with Jesus is by being baptized in front of the body of Christ. So the three questions for today are, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Number one. Number two, have you been baptized? And if the answer is no, you're like, I believe in Jesus. I think I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized after that. Then here's the third question. The third question is, here is water. What prevents you from being baptized? Like, is right here, and it's wet, obviously, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of warm still. Here is water. What would keep you from being baptized? Today. If, if God has spoken to you today, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm saved, I think, but I I've not been biblically baptized. We're going to make this as simple as we possibly can for you to obey Jesus. What would keep you from obeying Jesus today? Not in two weeks from now. Not after you've emotionally prepared for it for a month. Not after you put on just the right clothes to get wet in. But what would keep you from obeying Jesus today? Because here is water. I think sometimes for baptism, we almost talk ourselves out of it. But the best way to obey Jesus is just to obey him right now. Before the enemy talks you out of it this week. Or before your introverted personality freaks you out about it. The Spirit of God has pricked your heart today or spoken to you. Whether you're young or old or somewhere in between. Whether you think people in the church will be shocked if I get baptized... It is better to obey God than man. Now, I, I, I know how this works. I know of all the excuses you're thinking of in your mind right now. First excuse is, well, I'm not dressed for that. Well, you know what? We went over to the Menards, and we bought you some gym shorts that are appropriate for both men and women. And they're black, and they ain't see-through. We got you covered. And we also have T-shirts for you that are also black. You're like, well, I don't got a towel. Well, we got towels for you. You're like, well, I, I, the whole water thing kind of freaks me out. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I can't swim. Well, I mean, I, on that one, I don't know what to say other than you're just going to have to deal with it. This is water, and I promise you'll be all right. It is better to obey Jesus than to let your fears drive you away. You're like, but Jameis, I'm introverted. I hate getting in front of people. Like, that freaks me out. There's all these people here. Friends, with all due respect, Jesus Christ hung public and naked on a cross for your sins. He is worthy. He is worthy of getting your hair wet and identifying with him publicly before people. 
So let's, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. I'm going to ask our musicians to come forward. And um, here, here's what I want to do. We had eight people in the first service who came forward to be baptized. It was beautiful. It was awesome. And I think that the Spirit of the Lord is, is calling some of you today to follow Jesus in baptism. So let's do this. Everyone with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you think the Lord may be speaking to you today about being baptized, maybe you're not even 100% sure, but you're like, I think he maybe is. I just want you to raise your hand up so I can see who you are right now. Okay, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Who else? You're saying, Jameis, I think God may be calling me to obey him in baptism today. Okay, now some of you, you're not raising your hand, and, and that's okay, but we're still going to give you that opportunity. Keep, keep your hands up, and now I want you to do now is take another step of courage and go ahead and stand up. There's this, is this to you? Nobody else is looking around? If that hand is up, go on and stand up. If somebody's beside you and they want to... Walk with you. That's okay. Go ahead and stand up if you raise your hand. Now, look to your right. You're the only ones looking. Fellas, raise your hands over there. To your right, by that TV and map, there are five brothers standing, six brothers. And they are all going to walk with you all back to the fellowship hall right behind you. They're going to explain to you baptism. Make sure you're ready for this next step. They may determine that you're not ready for this, and they'll, they'll talk to you about that. But um, they'll walk you through the process. They will give you a pair of shorts. They will give you a T-shirt. They will give you a towel and show you where you can go change. And then I will be standing right in front of this sound booth right here in the middle, and they will escort you right back to me. And then after a couple songs, we will all walk down here together as a group, and we will baptize you one at a time. We're not going to ask you to give your testimony. Um, nobody's probably prepared to do that. I'm just going to say your name and baptize you. Okay, so for those of you that are standing, go ahead right now and begin walking towards your, this wall on your right side here. Go ahead and move towards these brothers, and they will grab you, and they will walk with you out here to the back and speak with you about this, this next step of obedience. And then everybody else, maybe you, maybe you didn't stand up today, um, but you still feel like the Spirit of God is prompting you in your heart, it's not too late. At any point in time over the next several minutes, even during this first song, you can still go back there. They will wait for you. They will be ready to communicate with you. So you have that opportunity just to slide right on back there at that time as well. So let's begin to move in that direction, and then we will go from there. All right? You may go ahead and be uh, stand up, and let's begin to sing.